What a great day this is to be together. I don't know about you, but I'm glad the holidays are behind us. <laughs> I, uh, I like the holidays in one sense, and in another sense I don't like them because of the change of schedule and busyness of all the things that are going on and everything like that. It doesn't seem like my schedule lessens after the holidays, but at the same time I'm thankful the schedule of the holidays is behind us. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? We've been looking at that over the last several months, really, in Luke chapter 6. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn in them to our study of the Gospel of Luke, because we are looking into this reality, these words of Jesus Christ as He's teaching about the life of a follower of His. What is the life of a follower of His? In a sense, we could sum up the intent of God for us as His children in just two simple words. We are disciple-makers. We are disciple-makers. That would be a good definition for that question that I asked a few seconds ago. What is a Christian? A good definition of a Christian is one who makes disciples. After all, that certainly is what the words of Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus, of course, speaking to the apostles, the twelve that he had chosen, along with actually all who follow him, because we know from John 17 that Jesus in his high priestly prayer isn't simply praying for them as he prayed that that night, but also for all who would believe in light of them. In other words, from the gospel, all those who were to be made disciples we're also to go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, Jesus said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He had commanded us. Well, certainly we are here today as Christians who open the Word of God knowing that these are the words that Jesus, that God Himself, God in the flesh, is commanding us. And so it is no surprise then when you open up the Gospel of Luke and you find Jesus teaching in Luke chapter 6 those who claim to know God and some, in fact, who do know God, who are Christians. And He is telling them that they are to be imparters of truth to others. That's what disciples do. Disciples relay the truth that we know. And Jesus relays that reality to the people in a parable that is followed with warnings. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 39, And I want to read for us from there down to verse 45. We have been in this text for some time, beginning all the way back in in verse 20, 
as Jesus has begun to preach to all the people. And here he is speaking to them in a parable. And it says, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men... Do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Here is the truth that Jesus Christ is teaching in this parable. Jesus Christ is teaching about Christianity. He is teaching from verse 20 all the way through to verse 49, as we will see even next Lord's Day, He is teaching about what a Christian is, what a Christian looks like, what it is by means of life to be a kingdom citizen. And here He has moved on in His teaching to speak in a parabolic way about this reality, and it is about discipleship. It is about discipleship. The first reality in this parable is this. Discipleship as a Christian takes spiritual sight. Discipleship as a Christian takes spiritual sight. In other words, you must as a Christian see spiritually in order to impart spiritual truth. Notice once again, verse 39, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? Simply said, discipleship as a Christian takes spiritual sight. You cannot be blind. You cannot be blind. That is to say, if you're going to guide and you are commanded to guide, you're commanded to go and to make disciples You cannot be a blind guide. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those who are kingdom citizens, those who are children of the King, we must be growing in grace if we are to help others grow in grace. 
We will not be fulfilling, we will not be doing, we will not be carrying out the command of Jesus Christ as His children to do as we ought to do if we are not growing in grace. That is simply to say that the clearer our Christian view, the clearer our spiritual eyes are, the greater understanding we have of spiritual things, the better guides we will be for others. Jesus says a blind man cannot guide a blind man. That statement of Jesus runs in both directions. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's not simply a statement for those who disciple. It's not simply a statement for the discipler to ensure that you can spiritually see before you begin to lead, lest you lead someone else into a hole. Surely it is that you cannot be blind and lead someone to a right place. There is spiritual trouble if you are a blind guide. But it is also, in another direction, a warning. It is a warning for all of those who are following. That's all of us. All of us as Christians, all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, these are people who claim to know God. Jesus is speaking as He's gazing on this crowd. Remember, this large crowd comes to Him, and He turns His gaze on His disciples, verse 20 says, and He begins this sermon. And He begins to delineate and differentiate exactly what Christians are, what followers are, those who who truly know God are. We've looked at many of those things over the last several weeks, and now he, he's speaking in a parabolic way because those who have understanding will understand this. He says you cannot be a blind guide and you need to ensure you're not a blind follower. Be careful who you follow. Be careful how you lead, but also be careful who you follow. Because if you are undiscerning about who it is that you are following as a Christian, who you are influenced by as a believer, the result can be spiritual disaster. So this is a caution that has implications for both the leader and the follower. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate leader. The Pharisees were self-appointed in one sense in their way toward God. They believed they were headed toward God, and Jesus Christ is certainly poking His finger in their eye in the hearing of all of the people. Be careful who it is you follow. Know who you're following Spiritual disaster awaits. The better the vision of a discipler, the better the result in the end with those who follow, the better the disciple will be if he has a discipler who can see. And also be careful who you follow because the end result could be destruction. 
Well, how is it then that our vision is made clear? How is it that we can avoid this caution, this warning? On both sides, the discipler and the disciplee. Well, there's only one answer to that, and that is through understanding the Word of God. Through understanding what the Bible means by what it says. It is the Spirit of God that leads us in all truth, John 16 verse 13 says. And as we understand the Word of God, as the Spirit of God leads us in truth, in the Word of God, we pray, we continue to pray that God opens our understanding, opens our hearts, so that our hearts would be enlightened by the truth, so that we would understand the truth, so that we might know the hope of which God has called us to, Ephesians 1.18. And so to maintain spiritual vision, we as Christians must meditate on the Word of God, right? Psalm 1 clearly says that. The blessed man is the one who meditates on the Word of God day and night. The Word of God informs our thinking so that we walk in obedience to that Word. We know not what to walk in obedience to unless we know what it is we are commanded to do. And so the Word of God informs our thinking. And so it is the Bible that is the educator. It is the Scriptures, the Word of God. It is the Scriptures that are the education for us as Christians. Truth be known, many Christians are tired of education. Many claim to know Jesus Christ. Many claim to, to have the, the desire to follow God, to, to be of the Christian world, to be within evangelicalism as you might know it in our modern day, and yet we seem to be so tired of the education. Why would you say that, Pastor? Because very often... We don't go to the Word of God. Sadly, there are times, beloved, when I come in here on a Tuesday morning and I find that there are Bibles that people have who have left their Bibles here at the church after Sunday. They're here sitting on the same seat they sat on on Sunday morning. Maybe an honest mistake, maybe a a misrepresentation of the mind whereby we have just forgot. That certainly happens. And yet, seemingly, from time to time, that same chair seems to have the Bible on it, week after week. Why is that? Because we have grown tired of the education? The Bible is the educator. That is why a secularly educated or a secularly uneducated believer. In other words, a Christian who is uneducated by the secular world is far wiser than any secularly educated unbeliever. You say, really? Is that true? Yes, Psalm 119, verse 98 through 101 clearly says that to us. Listen, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Why? Because it's ever with me. 
I have more understanding than all of my teachers. Why? Because your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. Why? Because I keep your precepts. My enemies don't know what I know. My teachers don't know what I know. Even the elderly don't know what I know, the psalmist says. Why? Because I have been under the education of the Word of God. The secular world has nothing to offer us, beloved, by way of education when it comes to the things of eternity. Only the Word of God does. So spiritual sight is necessary for the Christian. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has spiritual sight. And they are growing in their spiritual clarity in that sight. The Christian has spiritual sight because the Christian is to be a disciple maker. And spiritual sight comes from the Word of God that enables the Christian to spiritually see. So Jesus says, first of all, be careful. Be careful that you spiritually see and be careful who you follow. The cry for discernment. Christians are discerning. Number two, number two, discipleship as a Christian takes being spiritual example. If a Christian is a disciple maker, if we are defining that what is a Christian question by that reality that a Christian is a disciple maker, then discipleship as a Christian takes being a spiritual example. Notice verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. This is very fascinating to me. When Jesus was walking this earth, being a student of a teacher was everything. In fact, we saw that somewhat in the study in Eli- about Elijah and Elisha this morning in First and Second Kings, as they were, they had students, prophets, the sons of the prophets, following them, and and there were schools for the prophets. Being a student of a teacher was everything. Why? Because in those days, particularly in the New Testament days where there was limited prophecy, if not prophecy at all, was gone. There 400 years before John the Baptist came. But there was no readily available bank of resources for theological understanding. There was no available public libraries and schools. It wasn't just you had you could go downtown and get your library card and have access to the microfiche or whatever else there was. So your literary reality was basically non-existent. Your learning came from a teacher, an actual physical person that would teach you. And so for someone to claim to be above his teacher was to be a claim of utter arrogance. And so when Jesus says here in verse 40 that a Christian will be like his teacher, 
pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. When Jesus says that, he is saying that a Christian needs to model spiritual maturity, be a spiritual example, just as Christ is that to these people. Just as the Pharisees were not that to these people. In other words, what we are in our lives, beloved, those who follow us, they will become. Let me say that again. What we are in our lives, those who follow us, that they will become. Hence the reason, even in verse 39, he said what he said. Don't be a blind guide. That is to say that there are few things more important for us as Christians than living an authentic Christian life. Being like the Master. What are small flaws in us, in our lives, will become big flaws in our disciples' lives. And yet at the same time, Fortunately, by the grace of God, what are mature characteristics and virtues in our lives can and do become mature virtues in those who follow us. And so we could say in one sense, next to the Word of God, few things will influence others more than the authenticity of our Christian life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. In other words, be authentic. Be authentic. So the Christian is a discipler Therefore, ensure that you are growing in your spiritual sight and be careful of your spiritual example. Be careful of your spiritual example. Because know this, certainly you are following someone and you will be like them. And those who are following you certainly will be like you. Naturally, for us to ensure those two realities, that we have spiritual sight and that our spiritual example is where it ought to be, there is a need for personal evaluation. That's what Jesus addresses next. Notice what he says, number three, the Christian is careful to be self-examining. Since we... We ought to watch who we follow, watch who we are, how we're leading. Don't want to be a blind guide. Don't want to follow blind guides. And therefore, those who follow us will be like us, and we will be like those whom we follow. We better be self-examining. And so the Christian is careful to do that. Notice verses 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself don't even see the log that's in your own. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly. Take the speck that is in your own brother's eye. Jesus being concerned for the spiritual quality of those who follow him, those who are his children, he now moves in his sermon to this reality of self-examination. It all really has carried that tenet throughout for truly thinking and the large aspect of all of this, even back in verse 20 and 21 and 22 and even through all the way down to verse 26 when he talks about blessed are you when, when this goes on in your life, you're poor. That's, that's a self-evaluation because now you have to realize your own heart poured before God. You bring nothing to God. Blessed are you who hunger now, right? You're, you're striving for this righteousness. You hunger for righteousness. So there's a self-evaluation there in our own lives. We, we're constantly brought to the place where we're looking at our lives and evaluating it according to the truth that God gives us. Blessed are you when you're ostracized, when, when people hate you because of Christ, they cast insults at you, and you have to evaluate, maybe, maybe I'm not living the way I ought to because it doesn't seem like anybody's ever ostracizing me, ever challenging me for Christ. Maybe I'm just not opening my mouth as I ought to. The self-evaluation... Of course, even when he does the woes, the woe to the rich, woe to those who are well. It's a self-evaluation, right? There's this contrast going on so that you look at our life, and then we hear Jesus say to those who hear, right? To those you say you're following me, okay, love your enemies. Well, that's a self-evaluation. i got to check that. All the ways in which that flows out in my life. Do I love my enemies? Do I do good? Be merciful, he says, as your heavenly Father is merciful. Well, there you go. you got to see God, see His mercy, and go, okay, how am I doing? Where am I at? And of course, none of this is to gain righteousness before God. We, we are righteous in Christ. We cannot gain any more righteousness that, than we've been given in Christ. And the only righteousness accepted by God is Christ's righteousness. And so this is the outflow of those who are righteous. This is our life, and there's this evaluation going on constantly in our life, and it's no different here. Don't be a blind guide. Don't be a blind follower. Be careful. Be an example. Your example, people are going to follow. And here we are again. The spiritual quality of the Christian is before us, and we are called to self-examination. And the image presented here is somewhat comical. It's somewhat comical. It's this this whole idea as if this guy has a tree growing out of his face. We laugh at that. We think about that because it's so ridiculous. And yet Jesus is defining the essence of Christian hypocrisy. Hypocrites are not helpful to others. And yet here we are called by Jesus as Christians to be disciplers, helpers of others. Hypocrites don't make good disciplers. 
But what is helpful to others is for us as Christians, us as children of God, to continually have our own lives being submitted to the scrutinizing light of the Word of God, and then our spiritual vision will not be clouded by the ignorance to our own sinfulness. This is the reality that's happening here. Here's one guy who has a sin issue in his life, and his brother goes to him with an issue about that issue in his life, and his brother's issue in his life is so huge he doesn't even look at it. No, he's not saying, let's not draw from this any kind of sense that's saying, well, I can't go to somebody until I don't have sin in my life. That's not what God is saying. Otherwise, we would never go to one another. Jesus is simply saying, listen, my followers, those who are following after me, those who know me are self-evaluatory. The Word of God scrutinizes them. We've learned about this, brothers and sisters, in Galatians chapter 6. In our evening study, Galatians 6.1 clearly says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Get this, each one looking to yourself. There it is. Self-examination. Why? Lest you too be tempted. You see, Jesus is saying, listen, be careful how you follow. Because if you're following someone who's blind, you're going to fall into a pit. There's the injunction to know the Word of God. Let the Word of God give you clarity so you can be discerning as to who you follow and how you lead. Be careful how you disciple Be continually looking at yourself. Continually have the Word of God ever before you so that it is, as Hebrews 4.12, its double-edged sword is surgically dealing with the sin in your life. So that when you interact with one another, when you go to others, whether they be a believer or an unbeliever, when others are, are following you, they are following someone who is in the, in the spirit of Isaiah 66 and verse 1, they are humble and contrite of spirit because they tremble at the Word of God. You see, beloved, it's only the Word of God that can bring clarity. Some people say, oh, listen, listen, there's something in your life and they haven't taken one second to let the Word of God expose their own heart before God. It's only the Word of God that can bring clarity. Why? Because it's the Word of God that clears our spiritual eyes from what impedes that clarity, and that is our sin. And so while Jesus is showing us what a Christian is, He's obviously indicting the religious leaders of that day. Jesus is here standing out there with the crowd, and surely there were Pharisees in the crowd, and He's telling all of the people at large, watch out for them. They're blind guides. 
They're blind guides. If you follow them, you will be like them. They are hypocrites. You say, really? Does Jesus like that? Really? Did he do that? Well, just listen. Just listen to his indicting words recorded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 23. Here's the words of Jesus about the religious leaders. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. See, your your leaders, you, you, you claim to be leading people to the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus says, but you're a hypocrite. You say, hey, follow me to the kingdom. I'll take care of your speck. But you got this massive log in your own eye that you don't even realize. What do you mean? You don't even enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You keep them out. You're a blind guide. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why? Because you devour widows' houses. In other words, pure and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need, and yet you go to widows' houses and you take everything they have so that they might enter the kingdom of God. And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Says, you know what? You will receive greater condemnation. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? Because you travel around on the sea and the land. Why? To make proselytes, you go and say, come, come, come. You, you need to be part of us. And when they come to you, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. You don't hear much preaching like that today. What's a Christian? Well, according to Jesus, the one whom we follow, a Christian is a discipler. Christian, as a discipler, is careful to have spiritual sight, careful to be a spiritual example, careful to be self-examining. Number four, a Christian is careful to be rightly discerning. A Christian is careful to be rightly or even rightfully discerning. You say, why do you use that term rightly or rightfully? I use that term specifically because I mean that the Christian is to judge without being judgmental. Rightfully or rightly discerning. We are to judge without being judgmental and there's a difference. Notice verses 43 to 45. There is no good tree which produces bad fruit nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. There's the axiomatic principle. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns nor do they pick grapes from briar bushes. There's The example, axiomatic principle, Jesus gives the the nature example, and then he jumps to the reality of humanity. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. 
There's the axiomatic principle and the example. This is reality, whether you're talking about the inanimate objects of nature or the animate reality of humanity. The principle is the same. It cannot be escaped. It cannot be ignored. It will never change. And so the Christian is to be rightfully discerning. We are to judge without being judgmental, and there's a difference. Judgmental people are blind. What are they blind of? They are blind of their own sinful issues. They are like those in verse 42, who go to someone with a speck, and yet the log is in their own eye. And therefore they become judgmental. They exercise a judgmentalism with them. They are very quick to point out in others in such a way as to imply in themselves that they don't have any issue. Being judgmental is self-righteous. And in doing that, those who are judgmental are intrinsically hypocritical. But Jesus uses that term in verse 42, you hypocrite. This is part of why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, where he said, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You see, there's the blind guide. There's the teacher issue. There's this reality of what we are becomes who others will be. You preach against stealing. Do you steal, he says? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law. You're one who boasts about doing the things of God, and yet you dishonor God by breaking the law. He says that's why it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. God is dishonored by your life. Your Christianity is not authentic. You're a hypocrite. Strong words from Paul. Particularly since he's writing to his fellow Jews who aren't practicing what they preached. Particularly the Jewish leaders so they were hypocritically judgmental. Even in the opening words of Romans chapter 2, the exhortation is the same. Be careful in your judging. In other words, discern rightly. Be careful in your judging. And so the point isn't that Christians should never make judgments. Sometimes we hear that, and sometimes we even get that in our minds. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, you can't judge me. You ever heard that? Exactly. Exactly. Somebody's listening. All right? Don't make judgments. That's what people say. You can't judge me. I remember years ago when I was in Ohio pastoring, we disciplined some young gal out of the church for adultery and leaving her husband, several different things. And 
She wrote a letter, Matthew 7, 1, Thou shalt not judge. I thought, well, that's interesting. That's not what Jesus is saying. The point isn't that Christians should never make judgments. The point is that we shouldn't be judgmental in our judgments. Right? In other words, be discerning, but don't be judgmental in your discerning. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Jesus helps us here by giving us an example. He shares, like I said, the axiomatic principle from nature. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Seems simple. It is rather clear. Bad oranges do not come from good orange trees. That's the point. There's not some secret message here. There's not some mystical thing going on here. It's just simply that. An agrarian example. You get good oranges from good orange trees. You don't get good oranges from bad orange trees. That's the principle. And it's always like that. Why? Because that's how God has orchestrated it. You cannot get it any other way. So it's an axiomatic truth, but it pictures a spiritual truth because it pictures spirituality. You notice verse 44, each tree is known by its fruit for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bushes. What is Jesus saying? He's just driving it more home, right? He's saying that there's an external evidence that makes it possible to give an accurate judgment as to what kind of tree it is and what kind of condition it is in. Let me say that again. There is an external reality, external evidence that makes it possible for those who see that evidence to give an accurate judgment as to what kind of tree it is and what condition the tree is in. You say, well, that seems rather simple. Well, it it is simple, and yet, that doesn't mean we can simply look on the outside only. You say, now that's strange. You, You just said bad fruit. We look at the fruit. That seems to be it. No. You have to do some investigation of the fruit. Right? You have to do some investigation of the fruit lest you become someone who is judgmental. You don't know if it's a bad orange on a tree until you take the orange and cut it open. You have to investigate the fruit. You can look at the outside. The outside might look okay, and it might have a dent or a bruise on it. But a bruise doesn't mean the fruit's completely bad. But rottenness inside certainly does. So you have to investigate. 
And yet the fruit will reveal the condition of the root. The fruit reveals the condition of the root. And so with that being the case, Jesus makes the human connection. Human connection to the picture becomes understandable when we understand the axiomatic principle from nature and the picture from nature. Notice what he says. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Tree produces fruit. So here's the clarity with which discerning judgment can be made. The inner disposition determines the kind of fruit that comes from one's life. Let me say that again. The inner disposition determines the kind of fruit that comes from one's life. What is on the inside is determining what is being produced for all to see. That is what Jesus is talking about. The quality, the kind of fruit. The Christian life and what it looks like on the outside reveals the spiritual quality of life on the inside. Once again, here's an evaluation. Once again, we are faced in the mirror with ourselves as we sit looking at the Word of God, and the Word of God says, okay, let's look at the fruit. You say, why is that true? Because a person, those who even claim Christ, we see it all the time in evangelicalism, a person can attempt all kinds of external veneers. They can try to... to to staple fruit on their life. They can try all kinds of things on the outside that might appear as good quality fruit. It might appear as goodness. It might appear as kindness. It might appear as love. But the true quality becomes known through the words and the deeds of their life. More prominent than anything, it comes through their words. You say, really? Yeah, look at verse 45. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Jesus is primarily focusing on the words. That is to say that Christians are known by what comes out of their mouths. We're known by what comes out of our mouths. The Bible tells us in James 1.26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. What's the implication of that? The implication of that is simply this, true faith changes our speech. I'll just, I'll just ask, how many of us, before we got saved, used to talk like sailors on shore leave? And then after you got saved, what happened to your speech? Did God change it? The words changed. Began to talk differently. Why? Because the inside was changed. Fruit 
was different. Faith changes speech. And so the things that come from our mouths are revealers of what's actually in our hearts. When our words are ungodly, when our words are graceless, when our words are caustic, when we are judgmental and condemning, guess what? That's what's in your heart. It doesn't matter what you're trying to say. It's not. It's there. That's what's in our heart. If our speech is carnal, then our heart is carnal. If our speech and our talk and our, and our outworking is worldly, then we have a worldly heart. If our words are, are sinfully accusatorial, you know what? We accuse people of all kinds of things we know nothing about. We know, I know. People looked at they looked the way they looked at me, I know exactly what that means. Really? Really? You know that. Really, you're the expert on body language today? You know everything about what the, you, you're not going to investigate. You're not going to go over and look at that fruit and investigate, analysis, have some analysis on it, talk to them, see if you truly understand what's going on, see if they really are hating you, or maybe they were looking over your shoulder and they had a bug in their eye and you didn't notice all that. No, you're just sinfully accusing them with words. You know what? Know this for sure. That's what's in your heart. Sinful, accusatorial reality. That's in your heart. Why? Because from the mouth speaks what fills the heart. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? Because the mouth draws from the only treasury it can. The mouth draws from the only treasury it can. The mouth makes its withdrawals from the treasury of the heart. That's why that word is used here. A good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Your mouth only gets what's in the treasury. Notice how serious this is before God. This is very serious. Listen to the words of Jesus to the Pharisees once again. Matthew 12, verse 33 to 37. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, because the tree is known by its fruit. Speaking to the Pharisees. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good. Said so you, you talk like it's good. You take the evil and you paint it with, with what's good. It's a facade. It's a veneer. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? In other words, the implication is there's no way for you to speak good. There's no way for you to lead anybody in what, any way that's good because you in your heart are evil. He says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure that which is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, 
They shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. You find that amazing? When Jesus Christ judges, he will judge words. He's going to judge words. Why? Because words reveal the heart. Tell us what's on the inside. Oh, words are thrown around so much today in our world. I can say one thing today and another thing tomorrow that both things contradict itself and I can call them both truth. And humanity goes, oh, okay. Every word. He's going to judge words so it reveals the heart. And you and I as Christians, we're called to be discerning. Discerning. And we can do that by listening carefully. Listening carefully to what others say. What teachers say in their books. What they say in their messages. What they say on the radio. We take that and we analyze it with the Word of God. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we take every thought captive to the Word of Christ. We listen to doctrine. We listen to morals. We listen to what is said. We measure it by the truth of Scripture. And we can discern what's in the heart. We can discern what's going on in the inside. What's a Christian? It's a question we started with. What's a Christian? Well, throughout our study of Luke so far, we've seen that a Christian is one who understands that they are bankrupt spiritually before God. Can't come to God and say, hey, I brought everything I can bring to this evaluation. Bring something you can bring, and my works will be stacked up and measured up. And when you see how good I am, then you can let me in. No, no. We're spiritually bankrupt before God. That's a Christian. A Christian is one who hungers for the righteousness of God. And they know that God's the only one who can satisfy that. He can only, he's the only one who satisfies the spiritual desire of the hungry heart. Because of that, a Christian is one who weeps over their sin. They see their sin as God sees it, confessing their sin before God and joyfully accepting Persecution because they stand with Christ. They love Christ and they love as Christ loved. And the Christian is a disciple maker. A disciple maker. Careful to ensure that they are growing in spiritual sight so as not to be a blind guide. Careful to be growing in their spiritual sight so as not to be a blind follower. Careful to be a spiritual example to those who follow them. Careful to examine their own life under the light of God's Word. Each and every moment they go to the Word of God and God just fillets them with His sharp sword. Careful to rightfully be discerning. The world might believe that truth is relative, beloved. 
The world might say truth is relative all around, but the reality is that Jesus Christ, who is the truth, He's the only one who keeps any of us standing in truth. Words are cheap. Words are cheap. But they can say everything about what's in our heart, can't they? We're not going to get into it today, but just look what Jesus says in verse 46. Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Strong words of evaluation. Strong words of indictment. Well, let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I I trust that this morning has been faithful to you and your character, to who you are and the nature of your word in our life. Certainly, the false teachers of the day were leading many, many astray. And Jesus had come along out of grace and mercy simply to show them the truth, to authenticate the reality of who He was by what He did, what He said. Matthew's Gospel tells us that the people marveled at what He said, for He spoke as one who had authority. We know You are authority. Absolute authority. So, Lord, this morning as we think about these truths, may they be reflected in our life. May we not grow weary in doing good. Help us to find great joy in who you are and all that we have in you. May none of these things be overwhelmingly crushing to us because our self-evaluation can be so scrutinizing. But we know that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation. We know that in Christ we have victory. We know that in Christ that even the things we struggle with this day and even the way in which we fail and succumb to the deeds of the flesh and foolishly follow things of the flesh, that those things do not separate us from your love. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in Christ. Thank you for the joy that we can have in Christ. Even on our worst day, we're better off than those who seemingly have a much better day but do not know you. So Lord, help us rejoice in that each and every moment so that we might glorify and honor you with our words and our deeds and our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.